Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. COVID-19 has shown a bright light on our own society's failings. Our country's experience with COVID-19 has not only upended our own lives, but it has uncovered a stark reality and failing of our own society. The unacceptable disparities in health experienced by minority groups, especially African-Americans, Hispanics, and Native Americans. Many members of minority groups have a much greater risk of COVID-19, often because of the nature of the jobs that many of them have as essential workers in society. More importantly, when people of color get infected with SARS-CoV-2, they more likely will develop a severe consequence of the infection. And this is because minorities in general have a greater incidence and prevalence of underlying comorbid medical conditions, including hypertension, chronic lung disease, diabetes, and obesity that lead to a multifold increase in hospitalizations and deaths from COVID-19 compared with the general population. Now, very few of these comorbidities have racial determinants, almost relate to the social determinants of health, dating back to disadvantageous conditions that some people of color find themselves in from birth regarding the availability of an adequate diet, access to health care, and the undeniable effects of racism in our society. Let us promise ourselves that our corporate memory of this tragic reality, that an infectious disease disparately hospitalizes and kills people of color, does not fade after we return to some form of normality. Dr. Anthony Fauci, you could have co-hosted The Madison Show. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. Good to be with you. Good to be hey, with let you. Me, what, let me start there with that, uh, the, the speech you gave at, at Emory. What prompted you to, to feel it was necessary to, to, uh, for that speech at that time? Well, I think it's important for people to appreciate and understand that we are living through, I think everyone knows that, you know, in the historic pandemic that has already killed over 585,000 people in the United States, that there is a disparity here. And the disparity is that brown and black people first have a higher incidence of getting infected because of the jobs that they have, namely essential workers in society that put them into contact with people who might be infected. Understandably, that's the nature of many of their jobs. But importantly, and likely uh, something that has a greater impact, is that people of color generally have a higher incidence and prevalence of the underlying medical comorbidities that put them at greater risk for getting a serious outcome of COVID-19. And by a serious outcome, I mean the requirement of hospitalization and even death. And if you look at the rates of hospitalizations per 100,000 population and the deaths per 100,000 population associated with COVID-19, it's multifold 
greater in brown and black people than in the general population. And the point that I was making in my commencement address at Emory was that this relates almost certainly to what we call the social determinants of health, that things that have been in place for decades and decades, if not centuries, that uh, particularly African-Americans, but also Hispanics, are in a position because of things like, from birth, a lack of access to adequate diets, lack of good health care, that would pick up early hypertension that ultimately leads to heart disease, that ultimately leads to chronic renal disease and a variety of other underlying conditions. And it's important for us to maybe, if there's something that comes out of this outbreak, is the realization that we must have a commitment to do something about reversing these social determinants of health so that we don't continue to have the health disparities that we're seeing associated with COVID-19. That was the point that I was making when I made that particular phrase and that particular paragraph of my commencement address. Two-part question here, Dr. Fauci, and that is, should should what you've just outlined be taught in medical schools, number one? And then number two, uh, given what you've just said and what you said and, and, and what you said at Emory in the commencement speech, then what does it what what will it take to convince black people and Hispanics that uh, that that they've got to trust this vaccine? Um, because and, and have we made headway in, in, in creating that trust? Well, we are certainly trying. We are reaching out in so many different ways to African-Americans and Latinos, um, we have created what's called a uh, COVID-19 core, a a core of people uh, who are trusted messengers, namely, um, and we have thousands of them now who have volunteered to join in, and they could be sports figures, entertainers, clergy, um, and maybe even family physicians, but people Mm -hmm. who are given enough information, significant information from the CDC and other organizations to be able to reach out to minority communities and explain to them the importance of getting vaccinated, not only for their own health, that of their family, but also that of the community. And that's the reason why I myself personally and and many of my colleagues on the medical team uh, of the administration are reaching out in so many different ways, uh, ourselves reaching out to trusted messengers, but also getting the trusted messages from the COVID-19 community core. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And I believe it's working because if you look over the last few months, the relative percentage of African Americans who were hesitant about getting vaccinated is is getting considerably less and less over the weeks and months. So that's a good sign. Also, and I think it's very important, is you want to make it as easy as possible for someone to get vaccinated. And that's the reason why, as part of the implementation strategy for the delivery of vaccines, we now have community vaccine centers that are distributed 
throughout the country, even in places specifically that demographically are more representative of minority communities. We have over 40,000 pharmacies that are in locations that are very easily accessible no matter where you are in the United States, either rural or urban. We have mobile units that go out. And right now, today, you can walk into pharmacies, thousands of pharmacies, and not have an appointment. You don't need to go near a computer. You know, sometimes people don't have access to a computer where they can make an appointment. Who could just walk in and say, I want to get vaccinated, and they can get vaccinated. So it's a combination of reaching out through trusted messages, but also making it as simple and convenient as possible to get vaccinated. And and I do hope you will include us in that core group because uh, we have been pushing this. I've pushed it, my staff, the Urban View channel, and and I'm glad that you you, you gave us the time to, to come on. Now, let me personalize it. I've got a uh, soon-to-be 15-year-old grandson, and I've got grandbabies that are one's four and the other is seven. So should I be encouraging their parents to have them vaccinated? Well, you'll have to break it down into the age groups, so let me explain. All right. Right now, we have 12 to 15-year-olds that are uh, able to be vaccinated uh, by the Pfizer, and now Moderna has also now shown that in the 12 to 17-year-old, because prior to this, their clinical trial went down to 18 um, The Pfizer clinical trial went down to 16, but now both have gone from 12 and older. So right now, is it your 15-year-old grandson that you said? Yes. Yeah. Soon to be 15. That young young man is, is, is able to get vaccinated now. The younger of the group in your family... Uh, Right now, we're doing what's called an age de-escalation study uh, just to nail down to make sure that the vaccine is safe and effective in these individuals, which we have every reason to believe that it will be. Those studies are ongoing now, and I would imagine that the younger members in your family, uh, clearly the 15-year-old can get vaccinated right now, but younger members in your family uh, as we get into the next several months, because these these types of studies are going on. And I would hope that as we get towards the end of this calendar year, that children of any age will be able to be vaccinated. But you don't want to do that until you get sufficient data to feel comfortable about it. But we have every reason to believe, given the extraordinary track record, of these vaccines that we will be able to vaccinate children of every of any we, age before mm-hmm. we get to the end of the year. We, we only have a couple of more minutes left. And, and the one concern that we discuss uh, here on the Madison show, and, and that is, are we getting too comfortable now? I mean, I, 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 I find myself, I've been vaccinated. Uh, I find myself wearing a mask, Sometimes I don't know when to wear it, when not to wear it. Um, 
And the, the concern we, that we often have among our callers is, is are we getting too comfortable? Is it, is it too early to be too comfortable with where we are now with this pandemic? Well, certainly we should never feel comfortable about this until we have actually crushed this outbreak. We are going very much in the right direction. We have 50 percent of the adult population is fully vaccinated and over 60 percent of the adult population have had at least one dose. The number of cases per day are going down, but you don't want to be complacent. We have to continue to get people vaccinated. And those who are not vaccinated should continue to follow the guidelines of the CDC. So I totally agree with you and encourage everyone who's listening that we can't be complacent about this until we've essentially gotten the level of infection dramatically lower than it is now, even though it's going in the right direction. We don't want to declare victory prematurely. Final Wuhan laboratory. All the debate now. Um, why is it important, Dr. Fauci, that we now, and should we be focusing on this controversy about the the laboratory in China? Um, I know we can chew gum and walk at the same time, but you know, on a scale of I don't know, one to ten. How, how important is it that we uh, continue this this controversy or this discussion? Well, you want to make sure that you have lessons learned. <clears throat> if you know the origin, which, you know, right now there's a lot of discussion uh, about getting to understand more fully what the origin of this particular outbreak is. Uh, many of us, myself included, feel still that it is much more likely that it was a natural occurrence from a tra- from a, a jumping species from an animal host to a human. But we can't say that for 100 percent certain. And it's important to find out in order to prevent these types of things in the future. And for that reason, this hypothesis that it might have leaked out of a lab is something that you want to see if you can investigate that in a fair, unbiased, scientifically sound way. And I guess that's what's going on now. Unfortunately, it becomes a little bit politicized, if not a lot politicized. But it is important to know the origin, because if you do, you may be able to prevent things like this from happening in the future. Do you trust your do you trust the scientists, your colleagues? You have to work with them in China. Do you trust them yeah, to yeah. be honest and forthcoming? Well, yeah, yeah, I think there you have to have a difference between the scientists in China and the Chinese government. I don't have much insight into the into the latter. I we've worked with Chinese scientists for decades and decades uh in a collaborative manner with influenza uh, with bird flu, with a variety of other diseases. And uh, our experience with the scientists have been that they have been of good faith. They're, they're talented. Many of them have made major accomplishments in science, and that's the reason why we've worked with them. Okay. I, and I must end by saying I so appreciate, and I really mean this, your 
your speech uh, at the at the Emory commencement. I, it, I, it, the timing was perfect, and I, I do Thank appreciate you. it. Yeah. Thank you. Look forward uh, in talking again. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. All right. Be safe. You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.